I'd like to turn with you this evening to Romans chapter 12. And the message is from verse 12. Romans 12 and verse 12. But let me read from verse 9. So Romans 12 and verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So reads the, the word of God. And our text this evening is verse 12, where we read, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You must remember that these verses, all of these verses in Romans 12, come after that wonderful statement at the beginning of the chapter that we have been born again, that we have been transformed, that we have new life by the mercy of God. And that the Christian is a person who is not conforming to the pattern of this world. But a Christian is someone who is being transformed in their thinking. We're told to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And you'll be able to do God's will and please him. So it's within that context of what it means to be a Christian that we have these commands in these verses. You can't do this unless you are a Christian. That's really what Paul is saying. You can't do it. You can't be joyful in hope unless you are a Christian already. You can't be patient in affliction, not in the sense that is being mentioned here, unless you are a Christian. You can't be faithful in prayer unless you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, these are the things that you can and must do. And so he's really speaking to us about the Christian life and about all of the duties that we have, duties towards God and duties towards other people. And he begins in verse 3, way back there in verse 3, by talking about our duty towards ourself. That's where you've got to start. We mustn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but rather we should have a sober, realistic judgment of ourselves. And then within the church, we are to uh, behave ourselves according to what God has given us. He's given us gifts to use for the good of the whole church. And we must use those gifts for the good of the church and the glory of God, verses 4 to 8. And now in verses 9 to 13, the Apostle Paul is telling us that we have duties towards one another within the church particularly. And here is one. Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. As a member of a church, we must recognize that it's our duty to be joyful in the hope that we have. To be patient when we go through, through times of trial and to be faithful in prayer. Now these uh, 
these little statements, these little commands are intended to encourage us. They're intended to stir us up and to make us think and to guide us in our Christian lives, especially as we live with one another, with other Christians. You see, nowhere in the New Testament are you told that you can be a Christian on your own. Nowhere in the Bible do you find that. You never find the New Testament addressing an individual Christian as if that is the way to live your life. God never intended that we should live our Christian lives alone. As it says in the Old Testament, he puts a solitary in families and he puts a solitary Christian in a Christian family. And that Christian family is called the church. The local church is a place where we are to live out our Christian lives. And in this chapter 12 of Romans, we're being given instructions on how to do that, how to live as a Christian. So don't individualize your Christian life. God always intends that you are to live in community with other Christians, however hard that is. And no one's saying that's easy. There are many times where we think it would be much easier to be a Christian all on my own, to just isolate myself. And it is easy, isn't it? It's very tempting for us, especially in these days, to keep away from people. That's why it's such an encouragement to see you here tonight. It is very tempting to say, well, I'm just going to hide myself away. I can, I can watch the service on a screen all on my own. But that is an irregular thing to do. It's, an, it's not the normal Christian life. It may be necessary for a time, but it's not normal. And we must recognize that we do need to move back to something that approaches the New Testament, which is a gathered congregation of God's people living, interacting with one another. Not just on Sundays either, but during the week as well. Knowing one another, encouraging one another, and when we're able, meeting up with one another as well. And so these little commands here are very, very important. And tonight we have a, a trio of encouragements. These verses are either pairs or trios. You've noticed that. Verse 9 is, is a trio. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. A trio of commands. Verse 10 is a, a pair. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 11 is another trio. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And then in verse 12, we've got another trio. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So we're told that we're to rejoice in hope. We're to patiently endure tribulation. And we're to constantly be in prayer. So these are in, intended to encourage us. In our verse tonight, verse 12, the main thought is in this one word, hope. So I'm going to start with that, this word, hope. And I want to show you that as a Christian, hope soaks through all of your life and makes it possible for you to be always joyful. It makes it possible for you to bear with any trouble. And it makes you pray all the time. Hope is the great thing in this verse. And we do have hope. Let's start there. We do have hope. 
The word hope has taken on a new significance for us over, over this last 12 months, hasn't it? We mentioned before in this pulpit that this word hope has appeared all over our town, on walls, in terms of graffiti. Much better than a, <coughs> excuse me, much better than a lot of the graffiti that we see around us. Just this one word, hope. It's there on walls, it's there underneath the motorway, it's there in most surprising places. Someone has bothered to take the time to very carefully spray paint this word, hope. Every time I see it, I've got a question. My question is, is that word an indicative or is it an imperative? What I mean is, is it a statement, an indicative a statement? There is hope. Is that what the person is trying to say? There is hope. Or is it an imperative, a command? Hope! I think if I made it an imperative, I will put an exclamation mark at the end of it. But I don't know. I don't know what the people were thinking of when they wrote that. I'd love to meet them and say, what do you mean? <clears throat> what do you mean by hope? Are you trying to encourage us to have hope in what appears to be a hopeless situation? Or are you telling us that there is hope for us? Perhaps it's both. <clears throat> now, when we come to the Bible, we discover that hope is both an imperative and an, uh, and an indicative. It is something that is real, but it's also something that we are commanded to do. First of all, we know in the Bible that there is a true and certain hope. It is something that is still in the future. The very nature of the word hope tells us that it's something in the future. And the Bible tells us that we do have something in the future that we hope for. There is a real hope for the future. In fact, the Bible tells us that the whole of creation is waiting. There is a hope that the whole of creation is yearning for. What is this hope? Well, there's quite a theme in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, we're told in verse 1 that we have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There it is. We have something called the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, again, in another place in Romans, in chapter 8 and verse 21, we discover that the whole of creation is hoping for something. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. So the picture there is of the whole of creation groaning as if it is in labor, as if 
there is a child on the way, as if there are pains that are indicating that there's going to be something wonderful happening. There's going to be a birth. But at the moment, the creation is groaning in expectation. What is this hope? It's the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, it's a hope that there is something still in the future that Christians wait for. That one day we will see God himself. One day we will be changed. One day these poor, dying, sin-ridden bodies will be done away with. And we will be given a new resurrection body. A body that will be suited to living eternally in the presence of Jesus. It will be a body that is like the resurrection body of Jesus. You see, that's why the resurrection is so important. The resurrection tells us that this Jesus who died rose again with a new body. That body looked very much like the body that he had before he died. But it was glorified. It was suited for living eternally in heaven. It will never, ever die. It will never wear out. It will never be sick. And that is the hope that the Christian has. It is the eternal hope of heaven and life everlasting. And we don't yet have this hope. It is still future. It will come to us either when we die or when Jesus comes again on the last day. There is a hope, you see. And through the Bible, we're constantly reminded that this is our hope. It is the hope of glory. And we, we know that hope. The moment that we're converted, we have within our hearts this glorious expectation of, of eternal life. But there is also this other sense of hope. We are told that we must hope and we can hope. There's an imperative there. Hope. Yes, we can say to each other, have hope. Wait patiently for it. Again, as, as Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, if I read on, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. We haven't got everything now. There is so much more that God has promised us, but it's for later. It's for after death. It's for glory. We're promised in the Bible that this hope that we have will not disappoint us. So many things that we hope for disappoint us when they arrive, don't they? Easter eggs. They're always a bit of a disappointment, aren't they? Because they're gone far too quickly. And a lot of them are empty inside. Do you remember the time when you used to get really lovely things inside an Easter egg? You sometimes get it with it in the packet these days. But even the loveliest Easter egg is soon going to be forgotten when Easter Monday comes round. Presents can disappoint, can't they? We wait in expectation for a gift that we've longed for. Perhaps that we've saved up for ourselves. And when it arrives, it doesn't really live up to what we expected. A holiday that we planned. And when it arrives, it's over far too quickly and it never quite lives up to what it promised. Even those relationships 
even the closest and most wonderful relationships, are never going to satisfy that deepest longing that we have. That new car that we have saved all of our life for, well, it soon becomes an old car, doesn't it? That job that you thought, oh, that's going to be it. This will be the job for me. This is what's going to satisfy me. I'm going to find real fulfillment here. And before long, we're moaning and complaining about the difficulties of the work. Retirement, when we get older. Look forward to retirement. It's going to be so wonderful when I retire. I'm going to have so much time. It's going to be great to be able to relax. And then the disappointments and all the hopes often disappear. But not the Christian hope. Hope does not disappoint us. Why not? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. That's why hope doesn't disappoint us. Because right now, God has sort of given us a down payment. He's given us a guarantee that these things are true. What is this wonderful guarantee? Well, Romans 5 and verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God has given us a down payment. We know that these things are true. Why? Because God has assured us of these things by his Holy Spirit, by the love that we have. Not only that, but through the scriptures we have hope. Romans 15 and verse 4. Romans 15 and verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The thing that will fuel your hope is the Bible. If you read it, you study it, if you immerse yourself in the word of God day after day after day, you will find that through the encouragement of the scriptures, you have hope. And then there is faith as well. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you trust in your God and Saviour, you find that your hope will be renewed day after day. So we have a hope, and it's a sure and certain hope. It is the hope of glory. It is the hope of heaven. But what is this hope based on? Do we have any solid foundation for this hope? The answer is yes, we do. Our hope is founded on, is built on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to what Peter has to say. He should know he was there. He was one of the first people at the empty tomb, wasn't he? And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Listen to this. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us hope. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have hope 
that one day we too will rise from the dead. Jesus is alive and he has given us hope. If he was raised, we will also be raised. If he is alive forever, we also will be alive forever. If he ascended into heaven, we will follow him into heaven. For he has gone there to prepare a place for us, so that where he is, there we may be also. So the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the foundation of our hope. Because Jesus rose again, we know that one day we will rise again. Jesus is the first to rise again, but he is the first of many. And all who know and love him will rise again to eternal life one day. And every time we bury a Christian brother or sister, we do so in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a Christian hope, but it's still for the future. Remember that, still for the future. You don't have everything now in the Christian life. Remember Pilgrim's Progress? We've been telling the children the story in the mornings, haven't we? Do you remember the house of the interpreter? Never forget those two children. One was called Passion and the other was called Patience. And Passion was crying and screaming because he wanted the toys and the sweets now. Patience was waiting. Passion received all the toys and the sweets and he stopped crying and he was having a great time. But soon all of the sweets and all of the toys were broken. Sweets were eaten. He had nothing. Patience still had everything to look forward to. That's the Christian. We have a hope. And this hope, Paul says, the second thing that he says here in Romans chapter 12, this hope enables us always to rejoice. This hope should enable us to rejoice in every circumstance. We are told to be joyful in hope. We see this in operation over the three days of Easter, from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. On Good Friday, Jesus was taken from the disciples. They mourned and wept, but the world rejoiced. And Jesus said it would be like that. In John 16, we read that earlier, didn't didn't we? He said, uh, are you asking, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That certainly happened on Good Friday, didn't it? The world was rejoicing at the death of this troublemaker, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Put him to death, get rid of him. The world rejoiced. Ah, he trusted in God, let God deliver him. And so on. They mocked him. They scorned him. And the disciples mourned and wept on Good Friday. On Easter Saturday, their hearts were filled with grief and pain at the loss of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on Easter morning, their grief was turned to joy. Jesus says in John 16, 20, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And that grief really did turn to joy on that Easter day because all everything changed. The resurrection changes everything. But, you know, those verses about grief and joy 
that Jesus was speaking of in John 16, they're not just for those three days of Easter. The joy of the disciples when they saw Christ risen from the dead was a joy that was very quickly taken away as he ascended into heaven and withdrew from them. But there would be a true and lasting joy that could never be taken away. And that will be the joy when Jesus comes again, the second time in glory at the end of this world. That will be a time when our joy will know no end. When our worldly hopes are dashed, when that holiday comes to nothing, when that relationship sadly ends, when the car falls apart and the new house loses its shine and the birthday present doesn't match up to your expectation, or much more seriously, when that diagnosis is not the one that you are hoping for and when that prayer is answered in the opposite way to the one that you expected. When that wife or that husband or that son or daughter or brother or sister disappoints you and lets you down, you'll always have something to rejoice in. Always. Your hope remains undiminished because our hope is in Christ and not ultimately in anything else in this world. Margaret Clarkson wrote a lovely hymn, Rejoicing in Hope, we wait for the king. His coming is sure. His conquest we sing. His hour of returning draws daily more near. With hearts hushed and burning, we see him appear. Hope enables us always to rejoice. When there are many things in this world to cause us sadness and grief, we always have this hope, the hope of glory, hope in Christ. And then Paul tells us another thing. Not only must we be rejoicing in hope, but in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, he tells us to be patient in affliction because hope helps us to patiently endure troubles. The word he uses here for troubles or affliction there is a word that means coming into a narrow place. It means being pressed in to be under pressure. It's talking about all sorts of different troubles that we go through. The troubles that are outward and also the pressure and anguish of our hearts as well. There is trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We read that, didn't we? John 16, verse 33. How does hope help you in a time of trouble or affliction? Well, hope helps you to patiently endure everything. Hope helps you to follow the example of the Lord Jesus. There was no trouble like his trouble. There was no anguish like his. Whatever you have to go through in life, you will never go through the trouble that Jesus went through. You will never get to the point where God turns his face away from you and you do not know his presence. He has promised never to leave you and never to forsake you. Whatever trouble you're going through, it will never be to the extent that Jesus went. And we are never alone in our troubles. He is always with us. And we can look forward to the time when we will see him face to face. Just as Jesus went to the cross and set his sights on the joy that was going to await him, the other side of the cross. So in any trouble that you are going through, 
Set your sights further. Look further. Look beyond. Because whatever that trouble is, it will ultimately pass and you still have your hope of glory. So what trouble are you going through right now? Does it seem to be too heavy to bear? You think that you'll go under with it all? Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's mental anguish. Maybe it's trouble in your heart. Maybe someone is troubling you. Maybe it's fear for the future or disappointment. Maybe it seems endless. The Bible says hope in God. Talk to yourself like the psalmist did in Psalm 42. Often remind yourself of this lovely little psalm. Psalm 42. Listen to verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Sometimes we need to speak to ourselves like that. Why are you downcast? Why are you so sorrowful? Put your hope in God. Lift your eyes a little bit higher than your circumstances. And finally, we're told in Romans 12, verse 12, not only are we to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction, but we are to be faithful in prayer. And hope does that as well. Hope drives us to pray constantly. We are to be constant in prayer, continually in prayer. The word prayer that Paul uses here is a word that is only used when we're speaking to God. Only used for speaking to God. It is That's what prayer is in the end. Prayer is just talking to God, isn't it? And we're told to be constantly devoted to praying, committed to it. Praying on our own and praying together with other brothers and sisters. There are many types of prayer, aren't there? There are personal, private prayers where we just talk to God, share with him everything that is on our hearts. There is praying out loud when we're praying with other people. Perhaps in a prayer meeting and you're praying but you know everybody else is listening and there's a sense in which you're leading them in prayer. You're saying what everybody wants to say. You're not opening up your heart. You're not opening your inmost feelings. That's something you've done privately to the Lord. But now you're saying things that everybody wants to say to God and asking him for things that you all need. There are times of specific prayer. There are prayers, prayer meetings, but there are also groanings in prayer. There's just lifting up your heart wordlessly to God. There's this crying out to him in sorrow and in joy. There's times when you're just thinking about the Lord and meditating on him. And, and all of that is prayer. And when we understand prayer like that, we understand what it means to be constantly in prayer. You can be in prayer while you're about other business as well, can't you? Just lifting up your heart to God and praising him or seeking him, as well as those specific times of prayer. Whenever your heart is directed to God, that is prayer. Words are important, but words are not essential either. Hope fuels our prayers. When we come to pray, we must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. So don't give up praying. Keep on. 
There is a world of need and there is a God of glory and there is a risen Christ and there is a heaven to attain and there is a future and there is a hope. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. These are three of the ways in which our minds need to be transformed by renewal because we are believers in the Lord Jesus. Being a Christian is the greatest thing on earth. There is no other hope that is steadfast and certain. Our hope is like an anchor for our soul and we can hope because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Well, may God bless his word to our hearts. Before we come to our communion service, I mentioned this hymn, 320. Let me read the whole hymn to you. 320, Margaret Clarkson's hymn about hope. Rejoicing in hope, we wait for our king. His coming is sure, his conquest we sing. His hour of returning draws daily more near. With hearts hushed and burning, we see him appear. He comes with a shout and music's glad sound. The ransomed of earth encircling him round. The dead and the living shall meet in the air. In deathless thanksgiving, his glories declare. Redeemed by his blood, renewed by his grace, we long to adore our Lord face to face. Our eyes shall behold him in light unsurpassed. Our love shall enfold him in worship at last. Our king shall arise, his purpose complete, and cast his last foe far under his feet. His total creation, released from sin's pain, in perfect salvation shall share in his reign. And so we endure the wounds of the way, rejoicing in hope of Christ's crowning day. With angels in wonder, his triumph will sing in praises like thunder. Hail Jesus, our King. What a great hope we have. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that in your mercy and love you might increase in us this hope of glory. We pray that we might firmly fix our thoughts and our hearts upon the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we might feel and know that the foundation of our hope is sure and certain, that the Lord Jesus is our rock. We pray that we might never be wavering in this hope. We pray that we might always rejoice in hope, that we might be enabled to be patient in all of our times of affliction and that you will keep us faithful in prayer. For we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.